Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Sports Like MDs podcast. We're here and we're, we're with video right now. Yes, we are. YouTube, Sports Like MDs. Yeah. This is episode number 33. Yes, it is. Yeah, we're having so much fun. One through 32, epic, but 33, best ever. Mm-hmm. Best to date, guaranteed. Let's roll. It's about a very interesting topic. Role players. Role players. Scotty Pippen. Greatest role player of all time. Let's get into it. Hit the music. Hit the music. www.sportspsychmds.com. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, whatever, Twitter. We're we're everywhere. everywhere. LinkedIn. 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 That's SportsPsychmds. All right. Enjoy, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. We're live. Episode number 33 with the Sports Psych MDs. What's good, everybody? How you doing? It is so good to be back. It just feels yes. good. This feels good. Yeah. We're in the midst of this Last Dance documentary and episode yeah. 33. Yeah. What? what, is, what is, I mean, it, does that ring any bells? <laughs> I don't know. Does it? Yes, that's right. Hey, I think 33 and I think basketball, professional basketball, I think Scotty Pippins. I mean, it's definitely one of the names that comes to mind. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating how here we are uh, in the midst of the last dance documentary featuring the great Scotty Pippen, right? Um, in this most recent episode where the Scotty Pippen story is such a great basketball story. And it will be a great basketball story for all time, right? Oh, yeah. What Scottie Pippen represents, obviously paired with the greatest basketball player of all time, is essentially the greatest role player of all time, right? Okay. The Robin. The yes. Robin. The, the, the quintessential Robin to, to Batman. Now, right? you said role player. So some people, he's a top 50 player of all time. You, you consider him a role player? I'll tell you what. Quiet is kept. Role players are actually vital pieces to any championship team okay um yeah. that's and what today's all about role players yeah um champions championship teams dynasties particularly dynasties right like those teams that have essentially um you know been dominant for for an entire era right this cannot happen these things cannot happen without great role players playing alongside great alphas. Absolutely. So we're, today we're, we're going to do a case study, not only on one of the greatest, if not the greatest role player of all time, Scotty Pippen, yeah. but several role players. And like you mentioned, for most teams, you have that leader, you have that alpha dog, and then you have usually on these championship teams, tremendous all-star hall of fame role players. Absolutely. So how would you, how would you define a role player? Mm. Well, okay. I, this is great. This is great because you can go a lot of different ways with role players, right? There's so many different kinds of, of pieces. So many different roles. Right. To fit into a championship caliber portrait. Like we're talking about what the three and B guys. 
Um, That's probably the most famous. Right. We're talking about, you know, the, the sharpshooters, you know, the, the, the blue guys, you know, we're talking about this. There's a lot of different uh, types of guys, depending on the type of team. Oh, those glass monsters, the rebounders. Oh yeah. Interior defenders. Yeah. And when you, when you really look back, like historically, you know, uh, and, and you look into these championship teams, you'll see, you know, the same patterns, right. Over and over again, in terms of what went into constructing these, these dynasties, what, you know, what types of men these teams were, were built upon, right. The, the caliber, the, you know, the, you know, the heart and soul of the team, you know, the, it's just all these, it's just these, this synergy of just great dynamic energy is coming mm-hmm. together, right? At the right time, right, right place. You know, it's just, that's destiny. It becomes destiny. Yeah. Really. And these, these teams were, were built usually with, with a centerpiece and alpha in mind and damn good role players alongside. And the reason the sports like MDs, SPMDs, Dr. Hose and I are, are talking about role players today, the kind of psychological underpinning beneath that is how difficult is it for a lot of these guys that are coming are with the alphas in high school, alphas in college coming into the pros and taking on a role that doesn't get as much praise or validation as the guy who has the ball in his hands or the girl who has the ball in her hands in the last second, the person who's going to get the last shot and get all the cheers and all of the attention from the media. Mm-hmm. How difficult is that for these individuals to do? Very challenging. Right. And, and, and it's a question it's a challenge that is the ultimate challenge that, that has to be mastered really in order to become a great professional, you know, cause the collegiate level and, you know, the earlier development, um, you know, I, I mean, you, you're at the amateur level, you're still playing amongst athletes that aren't pros. Right. And, and you can still kind of get away with things, you know, that aren't like fundamental to the game. You can still like not necessarily play within the game and, and do the right things and maybe be a winner. And that's false. Mm-hmm. It's false yeah. insecurity because you have to play the right way in, the, in a professional capacity to be successful. Yeah. Once right? you get to the pros and you're against all these other alphas who led their high school and peewee teams to championships, maybe you're not the, you're not the guy or the girl that's going to lead your team to a champion being mm. the alpha. So how do you get that championship? How do you reach that ultimate goal? If that is your ultimate goal, you have to accept a different position. You have to se- accept your role on the team. And I would go further and say, not only accept, I mean, you have to embrace it, right? You have to embrace it. Like, cause, cause here's the thing, like when I, when I, and, and I'm so glad that you presented it that way, right? Cause that's really what we all really think about. We have to take, to do something uncomfortable that we don't want to do. That's not really us change like you know change who we change are is hard everyone yeah that's so difficult we feel like we have to accept it like you know like um, you know it's and, and there and there's an unwillingness factor to that type of narrative that will potentially ultimately creep into performance you know and create some flaws in the performance in terms of how well you're really willing to embrace what's happening and the transformation that needs to happen and so yeah you, you, you go back to it and it's so important to begin to internalize this this person you're becoming as someone new but someone that you can really you can really embrace yeah and someone who has value absolutely so i think ultimately when you're trying to get 
this individual or this athlete as a coach, as a teammate, get this individual to embrace their, their role on the team as a role player, you first need to define that role. What exactly do you want me to do? And then after you define that and explain, this is, you're going to be the person who gets all the rebounds and plays great interior defense. This is going to give us the best chance to win. Oh, yeah. Leading it to the (laughs) the ultimate goal of winning. And then you, and then when they do that, when they excel at their role, guess what? You give them validation, you give them praise. Absolutely. As the coach, as the teammates, because maybe the media is not going to highlight. The individual no, who, who sets the, the screens and, and plays really tough defense if it doesn't show up no, on a box score. Yeah. You're not going to get the external value. Exactly. Media, so you got to do that as an organization, as teammates, yeah. as coaches, as GMs, as owners. It's got to come from somewhere. And that's going to that's gonna make it a lot easier for that individual to accept their role. And I'm, you know, that package was, was awesome, right? Because like, that's really what, it, what it's about, right? With, with the role player, Right? And I think this is kind of what defines this sort of delicate balance between alpha and role player, right? The role player has to be a guy who ultimately, you know, you can just tell them what to do. And they can embrace that, mm-hmm. right? And they can be willing to accept that. Whereas the alpha, that's not really how it goes with the alpha, right? Because with the alpha, you have to be able to trust him with the ball in his or her hands, in the final moments of competition, to be able to, to make the right call, the right decision, no coach, right, no other player, he or she has to have the confidence to be able to independently make the right decision. And so for that relationship, right, between coach and alpha, it's more, gotta be more, you know, like, hey, like, this is kind of what we need from you now you can go figure it out because you're the greatest. It's more of a partnership. Exactly. And so within the dynamics of the team, the coach has to be able to like navigate that balance, right? Between like my relationship with the alpha and this one guy and, and the relationship with these role players, which is going to be, it's a, a different relationship. Mm-hmm. Loving relationship, no doubt, both ways, but different. That's and, the, be- that's the yeah. beauty of basketball because... 12 active players on the bench. Right. So you, you yeah. have the opportunity to get to know each and every individual and you, you, you may have to coach them all differently versus football where there's 53 plus people. It's going to be difficult to do that. That's why you have all these different position coaches, but in the NBA, you have the opportunity and this is what you should do to obviously have a partnership with your alpha, but to have each and every other player embrace the role on the team. Yeah. And see, this is why it's so important for your alpha to be, you know, like strong in character and conviction, mm-hmm. right? Particularly for like the values of the team, the values of the, you know, the, the culture and the community around the team and embody that, right? And also they kind of have to be elite, right? They have to be elite. They have to be the best player on the team in some capacity. Yeah. In order to really convey the narrative to these other guys that like you, 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 you should get down with this, right? Like if this is, this guy is clearly, he's going to take us to the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, it goes back to what we talked about in episode 32, last episode, when we were discussing these number one draft picks, when you bring them into the league, you want them to be alphas. You want them to be leaders. You want them to be mindful, confident, effective communicators, passionate and driven. Yeah. 
you and those are all the things that you you need in the leader, not only your alpha, but also ideally your coach as well. Because oh, those yeah. are those are the individuals that are gonna get those role players to really thrive in their positions and really um, get them to buy in because that's what you want ultimately is you want them to buy in to the roles. And once you start winning, that's gonna be feedback. Okay, so I'm not getting I'm not getting my buckets, I'm not getting my 17 points a game, but my team's winning. And if that's we right. win a championship, if I'm holding that Larry O'Brien trophy and the confetti's coming down, nothing else. I mean, I'm a champion. It was all worth it. All worth it. Yeah. You know, and, and these are complex dynamics, you know, I mean, they really are, uh, the dynamics shift and change with the, at, at the professional level. When you're talking about team building, like went through, through draft acquisitions and, assets acquired through trade where you have guys coming in to your organization, right? That have had a completely different narrative drilled into them, right? Since the start of their careers, mm -hmm. that person, in order to, to work for your team, they kind of have to be a pretty seasoned vet, battle-tested guy and a, and a high character guy who's going to be willing to now embrace a completely different role, having possibly even been, as you articulated earlier, the alpha on their previous team, but like they're, they're, they're sort of like potentially even a finished product in their mind, you know, and yet they got to come to your team and figure something completely different out uh, in order to make it work. Yeah. It's tough. I'm, I'm thinking of these extreme cases of individuals with that were alphas or either were alphas or already established champions and they joined already established winning teams and we're able to take on a different role in order to win a championship. So I think of, we're going to talk about this guy later, Dennis Rodman, where he won championships with the Pistons, defense, rebounds, defensive player of the year, went to the Spurs. Uh, that didn't work out very well. And, but he right. went to the Bulls. And a lot of people questioned him going to the Bulls, but then he fit in line with that culture, but they were already winning culture. So it was easy for him. I also think of Randy Moss going to the Patriots, had one of the best years of his career, if not the best. They went undefeated and unfortunately lost to the Super Bowl. And then I also... Um, I think of Kevin Durant most recently, he obviously took a lesser role going to Golden State Warriors in order and filled that role, excelled at that role and mm -hmm. won two NBA finals MVPs in that sure role did. and became a champion. He sure did, man. And i tell you what, Kevin Durant has got to be that story. That story has got to be a great story around like how finding the right role for a player right, can change the entire course and arc of their career. Yeah, but that's, that's a separate story because he gets a lot of flack for doing that. I think a lot of people give him flack because he pictures himself as alpha. He believes he's an alpha, but yet he took a role as a role player with right. the Golden State Warriors. And that, right. that's a, that in itself is a controversial statement, what I just said. Not at all. That's absolutely what it was. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. No, I mean, if, if, if our, our listeners have been following, you know, the, the things we've been articulating um around the alpha you know um and and what what that's about i'm not sure at this stage of his career that we can safely say that uh kevin durant fits either of those two caricatures yeah i think the jury's still out whether he can lead a team to a championship but he certainly is a champion as a role player with the golden state warriors that's all that matters yeah right? it does I mean, at the end of the day and, and, you know, honestly, the way that I can tell that there may be questions 
as to whether or not, you know, this, this particular player is an alpha is when I, when we express gratitude for his accomplishments through the lens of the role player, how does that land? Right. If that makes them feel uncomfortable, he's not an alpha. He's not because an alpha would, would look at this, right. And it would, two things would happen, right. A, he would say, I don't really give a fuck what that guy says. Right. Number one, and it wouldn't even matter. And, you know, it would be kind of one of those things where he would be able to kind of like Draymond, right. Kind of like, fall back to the fact that, look, I'm a champion. Like, whatever happened out there, whatever happened out there, dog, you know, I'm, I'm a champ. That would be number one. And then number two, I think he would just put everything into proving me wrong. Because I'm a nobody, right? Yep. At the end of the day. More he, fuel to the fire. He's a, he does what he does. He's a champion. And it doesn't really matter. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what Alpha, I think, would be able to take away. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting talking about Alphas as – in one sense, they have nothing to prove. And in another sense, they have everything to prove yeah. because they're so solely driven and passionate about, about winning. And that's all they expect. And that's all they want. Um, but the, today's about role players. All right. Yes. So Kevin Durant, probably not, not the best example, although we came out, <laughs> we came out hot with that one. Oh, we did. I mean, but, we redefined it. You know, yeah, we're, we're reshaping, yeah. reshaping that's what I'm the narrative. There's, there's a negative connotation with role player. It's, yeah. it's, it's like who like who wants to be a role player? I mean, in and itself, you're asking for you're basically asking someone to take a diminished role, most likely. So, well, again, diminished role in terms of the degree of external validation you will receive for your accomplishment, but not at all a diminished role in terms of the value placed into the finished product of a championship team. That's why that team culture that's created by the ownership, the GM, the coaching staff, the alpha it needs to be emphasized that we need you to play your role and you're going to get praised. You're going to get high five. You're going to get patted on the back. You're going to get a contract extension. You're going to get a bonus. What have you, you may even get an all-star nod as a role player if you're really good. But ultimately once that confetti rains down on your shoulders as a champion, then it's all worth it. Yes. Along that way, you have to define the role and Mm -hmm. that individual has to get praised because they're not going to get praised on Twitter or on the media for putting up a, a single digit box score in all categories. And some guys don't need that external validation, you know, like, and that's kind of what makes them great mm-hmm. in a sense, you know, is their ability to just be steady. Right. And uh, just kind of like take whatever comes and just like stay, they're still standing. You, you know, you have mad respect for these guys and Pippen, Scotty Pippen, three, three, man, he was one of those guys like solid as a rock, you know, I mean, we'll talk about, a particular time when maybe that wasn't the case, but you know, you just look at his career and the guy that he was, and we're going to talk all about it. Um, what are one of the greatest I, role players of all time? Exactly. You want to jump into Scotty? Scotty too yes. Well, here's the thing: like we talk about this disc assessment, and it's such a cheesy yeah. thing. Like it's just these acronyms and these like mnemonics, and I get it. Like when I first saw it, I I was just like, whatever, you know. <laughs> another one of these things. And, and I, but I, I took the test cause it was an easy test to take. And it was an interesting test actually to take. Just taking it was, was kind of cool. The questions they were asking and made me think about. And, you know, we talked about this before, 
but the information they provide is succinct and it's very informative. And I think it's a, just a nice little rubric, you know, a quick, you know, it's kind of like a lot of bang for your buck, you know, kind of, kind of little tool to understand a little bit more, you know, about how you fit it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that assessment is going to provide you with the knowledge of, like you said, how you fit in, but also if, if you're able to compare that with your coworkers and your co- your coaches are able to see that and your GM is able to see that they're able then to create this culture of individuals who have different communication styles, act in different ways. And as a coach, you, when you understand someone's disc assessment, when you understand, all right, this person's has a dominant personality type, they're going to be more aggressive and in your face with regards to what they want to do. They may, may be more receptive to that type of feedback, that type of, praise in front of the whole team or, or stern punishment in front of the whole team versus the conscientious individual who's more of analytical or data driven. He may, or she may respond easier if you go to the box score and be like, listen, Hey, you see here, your plus minus was this. We really want your plus minus to be here. You need to get your rebounds up here. So they're going to see it a lot differently. So if you know your individual players, disc personality, then you're going to be able to better effectively communicate with them. Yeah, it's just more data. It's just more information, you know. You know, nowadays I think, you know, one of the, the primary ways we're doing analysis to to build champions is, you know, through information data, analytics, you know, and, and really, you know, trying to find more interesting ways to define how we want to build this team. It's it's tough because you I guess you could probably take the disk assessment and produce get some sort of spreadsheet and that each person gets some sort of score and then you want all the team to line up to total a certain number but this is this is intangible this isn't something you can really quantify or measure you may recall um we our previous episode when we we talked about the the disc assessment and team dynamics we uh we actually shared with you guys our uh performance on on this uh this test and you know, just based on things we've talked about, you may or may not find it surprising that uh, uh, Tori and I actually were quite opposite, uh, quite like like the poll. We were like literally two opposite poles in terms of how we uh, we performed. Like I was, I scored you know highest in the DNI category. I think like fifty some odd percent in the D category, which is you know predominant in. in uh, 30 some odd percent in the, in the eye category for influencer. Which influencers like the people person. People person, yeah. And, uh, and then steadiness and conscientiousness, of course, are the, uh, the last two. And I scored extremely low, as you might suspect, in those two categories. There's not much left. Uh, it's a scale out of 100. So they basically say, all right, you're a whole person. You know, you're not just like one thing. You're not, you're not just dominant. You're not just mm-hmm. steady. You're not, you're not just whatever, any particular thing. And that's real. I mean, no one is one thing. But what they do is they say on an out of a hundred point scale, you are X percentage, you know, out of four different uh, components, uh, right? Your, your X percentage of, in each one. And Tori, what, what does yours look like? Yeah, I was lowest on dominant by far and then highest on steadiness, which is the glue guy. I like to keep things right. together, steady the ship. We were in the right direction. And then I think equal parts conscientious and influencer, um, right. maybe a little bit more conscientious. So more, a little bit more data driven 
uh, but yeah. also a people person, but I'm not, I'm not a dominant guy, you know? So, no, but, but that's the thing. Like it's, it's just, it's all about how effective you are to making it work. Yeah. Right. Cause the pieces have to fit. That's mm-hmm. the key. It does. It, it, you know, if, if, if I were a super steady conscientious guy, you know, there are certain things about this that just couldn't work. We just would never make it work. Right? Yeah. But here's um, the thing too. It gives me, it just gives you data on your tendencies. It's not fixed. So yeah, one of my goals is to, is to be a little bit more assertive, to be a little bit more dominant. Yep. And no doubt. that's, that's really something I'm pushing forward to. Maybe I'll take the test again in a couple of years and see if, if I'm exactly, I was going to say, if I have a bigger D, but, <laughs> but you know, oh God. Um, so we'll see. It's just tendencies and it's, it's important to know your tendencies. And if your coach knows them, that's even better because you don't want a team full, full of dominant guys. That'd be difficult. That'd be a coach's nightmare. No, you, you, yeah. I mean, exactly. It, it's, it's, listen, I can't emphasize this enough. A team right is about chemistry and one thing i remember from chem- we all took chemistry like everybody listening to this podcast at some point took chemistry you remember when they put these like these things together these molecules together right it was it wasn't about you know like just mashing together a bunch of the same things right in order to make something great like interest like beautiful like an actual living thing right it's a bunch of different pieces that you have to like just find ways to fit, you know, and, and you have to ultimately, ultimately looking for that, that stable configuration, right? mm-hmm. and that stable confirmation, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for. And, um, and in order for that to happen, you know, you, you know, each piece will be different. And if we're going down the chemistry route, you have to be bonded. Everyone has to bond together. You have to create these bonds between these, the teammates, between the coaching staff, ideally throughout the entire organization. But if you've been watching last dance, obviously that there was a bond that was broken during the end of that second three peat, but it's important. Um, all this is important when it comes to, to find and, and not to get too nerdy on them, but you know, we always have to take it there at some point, um, you know, connected tissue, right? Connected tissue. That's, that's what, it, you know, it, we're, we're really talking about is like every, all the pieces fitting everything, everyone in, in a net, in a network, right. Connected that really in most of our brains, most of what's occupying that space in between our, you know, our ears is actually connected tissue, you know, and, you know, those building blocks, you know, really trying to link everything together to make it work. And that's where all this data comes in. That's right. To allow you to make those connections and those bonds easier. So role player, you could think about at role players as specialists. There's, there's very simple type of role players. Like you mentioned the three and D guy. They think about it like a Bruce Bowen, maybe an Andre Iguodala when he was with the Warriors. Yeah. Wow. But the, the greatest, I think, role players are the ones that are specializing in at least two dimensions, if not more. That's right. And, and they also bring some sort of intangible some sort of um, strong mm-hmm. personality trait that yeah, is, so it's like a it's like a bonus. Yeah, is pivotal yeah. to success. So yeah, let's talk about Dennis Rodman. I see him defense. Obviously, he was a defensive player of the year and, and rebounding. Two things he can do on the basketball court better than anyone else. And then what else? What else? Energy. That energy level he had on on the court. That dominance. That dominant type of energy. 
they're going to give you everything they got, like whatever they have to give, you know, they're going to give all of that. And ultimately you can count on them to do whatever it takes to win. Like those are those guys, they're going to like be, you know, diving on the floor mm-hmm. to get to the loose ball. Yeah. And you have to have those everybody guys to win. Yeah. You have to have those guys to win and they have to buy in. So yeah. and like we mentioned before, Dennis Raman, with, I mean, it stopped in San Antonio before going to the Bulls. He didn't buy in. So he didn't help them win. But when he came to the Bulls, when he was on the Pistons, he bought in completely. And no one was going to out-hustle him. No one was going to jump higher for rebounds. So he showed this dominant play. But if we bring it back to the disc assessment, and you take a look at kind of all his interviews, and he, that 30 for 30, I think it was called Rodman for better or for worse, where he is actually quite a, like a conscientious guy almost and a very – steady guy he if you heard him talk on the last chance documentary he was talking about when he saw the ball get released he was he would know based off who was shooting it based off the spin based off where they're shooting it from where to position himself for the rebound mm-hmm. so there's a, a whole scene where he's like going through this whole really kind of intricate way of how he got his rebounds when if you're just a lay person watching the tv screen you're like oh he just jumps higher and he's he's putting in more energy no he's this is a thought process that goes behind this. So he was actually really conscientious, but all this came through for him to be one of the best role players on not one, but two different dynasties. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you even hear Jordan talking about this. Like these guys are typically like high basketball IQ guys. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Draymond Green's another one, you know, in, so what, in, what does in that modern mean? era? Let's, let's define high basketball IQ. Yeah. I, you know, so I, here's, here's what I think it means. And, and, you know, you definitely tell me what you think. I think it, it's a guy that has a couple of things going for him. They were coached and trained the right way, right, from the start. So they're fundamentally sound. And um, they, were, they were receptive to that. So it was a yeah. complete match with their coach and with them, not only with the information coming through, but with the bond that they had. And they're guys that I think have a certain – you know, a certain love for the game, you know, a certain passion for the game to where, to where like there are guys that aren't just in the gym and then going home, like work, like, you know, going home from work or like, they're like in the locker room and then back in, in the film room, like kind of getting it in. And mm-hmm. they're like, looking at the play playbook. Yeah. They're talking to teammates after practice, trying to like devise new strategies. They're texting people like at, you know, after hours, like, Hey, I just thought of this new play. You know, I mean, they're like all about it. Like they're in, they're in it. They're totally in it, you know, and, and they're invested. And those are guys that you can trust. They're likely going to be, you know, they're going to be willing to buy in because you're going to give them a strategy, you know, system as a coach, you know, and, 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 and make them believe. Yeah. I would say those are the individuals that you need to have buy-in. Right. Yeah. They're the ambassadors. You know what I mean? Like the Charles Oakley way back in the day, it's like, you know, it's like, I'm going to die for this team. You know, like, this is, this is who we are. This you is the heart some, and soul. These are the heart and soul, guys. You need some tone setters. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah, Rodman's, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about Dennis Rodman. He's such an interesting individual. Everyone knows who Dennis Rodman is. Dated Madonna, had the different colored hair, Carmen Electra at one time. Yeah. <laughs> we found out that he took a weekend to Vegas um, during the middle of the season. 
and that conversation he had with Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson, allowing them to take 48 hours ended up taking longer than that. That, that was, that was interesting, but that, that kind of showed you how much trust, I guess, in that bond that they had. And granted they had already won a couple championships together. So that was even solidified even more, but they, they all were bought into each other's role on the team. Obviously MJ was the alpha, Phil, the coach, Phil was the glue guy, the steady guy, the conscientious guy, but also the influencer, influencer really high, definitely a people person. And then Rodman was the guy who, who kind of the wild card, but they all trust each other in that situation and it paid off. They won another championship. Well, and, and here's the thing. It can work when it's all about winning, Right. When it becomes about other things, that's when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we learned from the MJ story that may be most compelling, right? About his legacy is that he proved that when you can be singularly focused, right? And that, that singular focus is winning. I mean, you can make it rain, right? You can make magic happen. Yeah. And it's crazy how like what they had the three years and then the, the crazy, you know, mm-hmm. baseball binger thing for two and then like another three years and you felt like, and that's what, you know, is really this last thing is captured. You felt like they had at least a couple more in the tank. Oh yeah. Oof. That's tough to watch. I'm looking forward to the end of the docu-series. Um, but yeah, it's a shame that they, they didn't get those last two years. But when you're thinking about, like we mentioned before, it's it's easy for a KD to join the Warriors, a Rodman to join the Bulls, uh, a Ray Allen to join up with Paul Pierce and, and Kevin Garnett with the Celtics because you have a winning team. You either have a team that already won a championship mm-hmm. or you have a team that you're putting together a big three. So you it's easy to buy into that. You're like, oh, I if I play this role, I'm going to win a championship. It's almost guaranteed in that situation. It's a lot more difficult to get those players to buy in early on into a role on a team that is ascending and isn't already at the top, hasn't already won a championship. Definitely. You have to, I feel like you have to have a great coach in that situation. Yeah. Because I mean, come on, like, especially like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a relative value thing too. Right. mm -hmm. I mean, if you were, you have to look at it like this, whoever you were, and that's, that's what's challenging about basketball dynamics. You know, it's like, you're not treated like an accessory ever in basketball, right? Because it's just five guys. It's just, you know, it's always the spotlight on, you know, mm-hmm. focus. you're always going to get. There's no long snappers. Exactly. And, and, you know, so it's like you, you were the guy on this other team that was like maybe, you know, average or whatever. But for you, that means a lot for what you were doing and what mm-hmm. your value was to that team. That means a lot. Or you were the number one guy on your college team. You're coming through the draft. Oh yeah. First round pick. And maybe they were, maybe they were, geez, don't, don't even get me started. Right. On the pick. Don't even get me started on the pick. But I mean, you know, like just whatever it is, you were the guy, the guy, the, the, key, the keys of the kingdom. And, you know, at some point in time, there was promise, right? There was like, look, we're going to, we're building together. You're going to be our guy. We're going to like, we're going to win a championship. Like we're, you know, you're going to be that guy. And so it's like, man, you almost can't help, but have self doubt now that you're thrust into this whole different situation where now you also have to say to yourself that other thing didn't work out. 
and mm. um, and it's like so. Who, am I? who am I now? Mm-hmm. Who am I now? Right? Like, what's how do I? That's it, a tough transition. Yeah, and I think we can take this so many different ways. If the person is who they are because it's it's tied to the the validation you get for being the number one guy, for being the closer, for hitting the game winning shot, for for filling up the box score. If you're that guy that's in it for just validation over the passion or the love of the game, then when it comes time to to change that role and transition into a role where you're not going to get as much validation or praise, then it's no wonder you don't play as hard because that's the point you were playing in the first place. That's why you were playing in the first place. So why would you play for a different reason? That's been your fuel and energy this entire time. Yeah. And, and that, and that's where character comes into play, you know, and that's something that, you know, a tr- like a, I think a great GM, great execs, like great scouts, like, you know, that's what separates those guys because they can figure that part out. And that's hard to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. those are that's intangibles, you know, that you just really can't look at film of performance and know. You have to know a person. You have to get, get into their background, their history, you know, know who they really yeah. are. And I think a lot of these these great role players, they share some characteristics with Alpha. And one of those characteristics is being passionate and driven. Yep. It might yep. not be to the insane level of a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant, but at the end of the day, they're, all, they're definitely passionate and driven. And you can make the argument that anyone that makes it into the NBA is passionate or driven. But then we're, not every, se- not everybody. we're separating the cream. <laughs> <of> the <crop. laughs> not everybody, but I mean, some would say, so, say differently about a certain number one draft picks in the past. But um, no, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all it's such an interesting like discussion. We can go a lot of different ways, as you said, such as the case of where you actually come into the league right? Kind of unfinished, right? And then you're a role player, right? And you actually has, were always expected to be a role player. Like you didn't come from a great, you know, program in college. You weren't like a blue chip, whatever. And there were no like great expectations, but like things happen. You're in the right holding system, you know, the right team, right, right coach, and like something happens. I think I know who you're talking about here. Yeah, something happens, right? And everything changes. Sometimes it feels like it's overnight, right? Just, you just put, the, put them in this situation and just let them do what they do. And it just, it works out beautifully. It's just like somehow being on the sidelines and just giving them a chance to just kind of like figure it out without that spotlight. Mm-hmm. You know, it just enables this, this incubation period of just like, such accelerated growth they just come out into this this like monster you know just ready to roar it's kind of like honing what you're really good at like yeah i mean if you're Kawhi leonard i'm assuming that's who you're talking about that's what i'm talking about fits into a great holding environment a dynasty team and what does he do he plays focuses in on that defense he can play and like you mentioned over time gains the confidence as being a role player and contributing to a championship team Mm-hmm. and over time develops all these different skills you know and becomes I mean, an alpha sometimes you gotta let that shit marinate right i mean that's but a, a good great Beautiful. gm and great coach they they get that mm-hmm. like and great teammates and great teammates oh popovich you know guys like that guys like duncan that's yeah. the thing that's another example though someone coming into an already well-established team so it's easier to buy in 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you were drafted by the, uh, let's see, what, what, how long ago? Like if the Pacers kept him instead mm-hmm. of trading him because they drafted him that night, That's was, right. he, was he necessarily going to buy in? Well, they ended up actually being pretty good with Paul George, but what, what do you play for the Bobcats? Is he going to buy in as this, this role player right away? Or is he going to want to come and be an alpha? And is that going to mess with his trajectory? Because then he comes in as an alpha in his first and second year. And what if he's not ready for that? And he fails at that. And they don't do good. Maybe he'll never reach that alpha status he re- reached when because he started as a role player and worked his way up. Mm-hmm. Develop that confidence. Yeah, and that trajectory you mentioned, um, such an important thing to understand. And, 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 you know, really try to, to predict and, and, and get a hang of, you know, it's like that, that, you know, that pandemic curve, you know, you really want to understand how that looks, what that looks like, and be able to like, kind of redirect it, you know, you know, where, where, where mm-hmm. it needs to be. Um, because it starts really from, from, you know, the, the draft pick, you know, in many ways, in terms of like a professional athlete's identity. And then it kind of gets, gets shaped from there and all the different experiences they have along the way are going to really go into informing how they feel about themselves and, and, and their ability to perform. Um, and you have to be cognizant and keenly aware of all of these things because what we've seen also in, in players um, is these like really, really just amazing talents, right? At like the, the amateur level whether it be high school or college or what have you. And then they come into the league like straight out of wherever because they're just like, yo, this dude's 16, 17, 18, just like big body, like he's ready. He's, he's, we can get him from the beginning. He's young and mature and nurture him. And, you know, he's raw talent and he's just, he's still growing. And it's like, he, we want to, we want, we're trying to create a monster, like a LeBron, you know? And everybody wants that. And, but like something happens along the way, you know, and it's like, it just doesn't work. And you just, and everybody's just blown away, you know, by the story. And sometimes it's injury. Sometimes it's just like these crazy freak injuries or these ongoing chronic kind of things that happen. Totally unexpected, totally like, like really difficult to be able to predict, you know, and, and prepare for and just really sad stories. But sometimes it's just mental, you know, I mean, it's just like something that they just, they, you know, it's hard to like, they're unable to work through with that identity. And it just becomes like a, you know, what could have been, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I'm tempted to ask you to define mental more, but. That's a collective. Yeah. You know, collective. I mean, there's a lot to it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there. You know, I think that that might be uh, something to consider for a future. Well, I, I think that, that we talk about those themes. I mean, you can go to any, the last podcast where we were talking about the characteristics of a number one pick and it's about lacking those characteristics. It's about lacking, it was a resilience, mindfulness, gratitude, being a good community, confidence, being confident and um, being passionate and driven. It's about lacking one of those. That's what mental is. So I guess that's the best way for us to that's describe right. it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So bringing it back to, to Rob and we mentioned, when he, by the time he was with the Bulls, he already had money in the bank. He was a champ. He was going to a winning team already. But guess what? He started out with the Pistons. He was a draft pick by the Pistons. And Chuck Daly was that coach, that legendary coach that he bonded to. And you watch that documentary. They talk about how 
Chuck Daly was a father figure for him. He created that holding environment and that allowed him confidence Mm -hmm. to grow as a a role player. And Chuck Daly gave him that praise. Rodman probably wanted to do this for him because he held him in such high regard. And they ended up, ended up getting reinforced by the championship runs. Uh, Rodman's childhood is so interesting. I wanted to touch on it real quickly, and well, you'll see this as a theme as for Scottie Pippen as well. Some of these guys are unheralded coming out of college. Maybe they're they're unheralded before college. They're unheralded coming out of high school, and maybe that that has something to do with why they were so comfortable excelling at a role player position, and they didn't necessarily want the spotlight or strive you know, for the spotlight and, and, of the number one guy. This is what we have to be very careful about. You know, and since we were talking about the draft, you know, the the, the Joe Burrow story. This is where this is where it becomes a risky proposition. Obviously, a great talent, transcendent guy, you know, had this great season, right? But I, I still like the consistency of a guy, like seeing a guy over many years, right? Like being able to handle the pressure, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't feel that we give enough credit to that ability, right, for an individual to be able to carry the weight of celebrity on his or her shoulders at the age 17, 18 years old, you know, and, and the character strength that, that must be there in order to do that, you know, and, and as opposed to just where you just sort of come out of nowhere, where no one, there's no expectations, you know, and, and you, you just kind of prove everybody wrong. That's just, it, it's a different experience. You wonder if, you know, the experience that Tua had, which is quite different than, than Burroughs, you wonder if that could be duplicated. You wonder if those guys could reverse roles and if Burroughs could still be that guy. I had no doubts about Tua being that guy. The injury is a thing for sure. We got to figure that out. But that's something we can fix, right? It's a physical issue. Hopefully we can fix it. Most likely we can fix it. So you can't necessarily fix character, you know? And why would you want to? I mean, sometimes it's like you want these, you really want these guys to kind of embrace who they are if that's really who they are. Yeah, I think you're speaking to it as much to do with individuals, the situation they're drafted into or, or brought into. So in Dennis Rodman's case, he's, he's drafted in to get rebounds. Yeah. In Joe, Joe Burrow's case, he's drafted in to lead his team to a Super Bowl. To win. To win a Super Bowl. No doubt. Not just to win, but to win a Super Bowl. That's right. So... It's different. And, and if you just take, for instance, in the draft, LeBron James, he was drafted to win, win a championship. Some guys are drafted. Championship or bust. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just draft, you draft a player to do a certain thing. And for some, it's to win championships. And for others, it's to fit in. In Rodman's instance, if his, they're drafting you and telling you to play defense, get rebounds. And that's something you've been doing. You're going to buy in. You're going to go for it. They're not asking for too much. No. No, they're not. You know, um, they're not with Rodman's case, right? But they were with the case of D-Wade, right? Or the case of Chris Bosh, you know, or like those kinds of stories. They were. KD, no, right? It's just, it's really about, and that's that's the dance, right? That's the dance. That's how you kind of, that's what, makes a you know an architect as opposed to a general manager yeah 
Yeah, I, I want to keep going down the KD tangent, but I'm, I'm trying to keep us on the straight and narrow. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, going back to Rodman, he was unheralded because guess what? He he graduated high school, started working. What he grew eleven inches in the year and a half after high school. He went from being five nine to six eight. And you say that again. I just I just want to make sure. I hope nobody missed that. Yeah. What was that? He went from five nine after he graduated high school to six eight. Whoa! Within a year and a half, and that's when he was noticed and ended up playing for Southeastern Oklahoma State and just tearing it up in the NAIA and being an All American. And then he was ended up getting drafted three years later. That's like some Guinness Book of World Records crap. Yeah. You know, just like whoa, like let's you know, we, like a whole. And I want to get into the backstory of Dennis Rodman a little bit because it's all out there in public knowledge. Um, but there's a reason why he fit in so well as a role player. This is yeah. someone who grew up, two older sisters, his, his dad abandoned him. And he felt like he never really had a best friend growing up. And then he went out, at, this is after high school. When he was 21, he ended up mentoring a 13-year-old at basketball camp. They ended up becoming friends. He would spend the night at this kid's house. I know it sounds weird, a 21-year-old. 21-year-old with a 13-year-old. And the family let him sleep over. Rodman talks about it in this documentary, um, but he says this is the first time he felt like he felt like this was his family. This is the first time he had a best friend. So he felt that bond, that holding environment started then. And this is just at the same time he started being noticed for basketball and played basketball and lived with them while he played basketball. And that's when he ended up being all American. And because he found where he belonged, he had that holding environment, that safety net where he could go out and, play basketball and not worry about failing because he can go back home and he has this holding environment, this loving safety net that's going to comfort him. He mentioned that, that he had a great relationship with the father of this boy and the whole family. But he, he went to school and he balled out with that confidence and having his holding environment. And then that blossomed into him becoming a basketball player. And that was his identity for the most part. And as you see throughout the years, he maybe had some identity issues with regard with regards to the different clothing mm-hmm. and different hair, but that's besides yeah. the point. He fit in as a role player. Mm-hmm. And that, that's part of the recipe, but it's, there's, it's, it's not a straight line. I don't, and I don't necessarily know how to explain how he, he went from point A to point B, but that all that in there had an influence on him became becoming a role player. Mm. Yeah. Very well said. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, it, it does lead us to this point of very interesting contention between how we assess and appraise dynamics within football and these dynamics within, within the game of basketball, right? Because in football, everyone's a role player mm-hmm. um, for the most part, right? Uh, so it's not really like, you know, so it's, you don't feel the pressure, right. To like be really any different than like, I guess, like your, your, your teammates. I mean, maybe you want to be the best like receiver, right. You want to be like the best lineman. You want to be the best tight end. You want to be, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like best running back, but it's like, you're not necessarily trying to outshine the receiver yeah. in terms of what they're doing if you're the running back and the lineman for, you know, and so forth and so on. Like Jerry Rice isn't battling Joe Montana over who throws more touchdowns. No. And, and what's, what's, what's 
interesting about football because it's such a contact sport and these collisions and it's really dangerous. Like you depend on each other so much. It's like, you can't be worried about that stuff. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you just have to be do like, do your job. Yeah. Do your fucking job. Like, but in basketball, any individual can take a shot at any point in time during the game. So it's so, like you mentioned, it's so different than football. And that's why basketball, that's why we fo- I think we focus in on basketball a lot more because of your, your, own cognitive mental state and overall state of mind affects the game a lot more i think than than football with regards to team dynamics because yeah, in football mm-hmm. you can be extremely regimented in what you do you're not asked to do a whole lot a wide receiver yeah. only has a specific route tree to run right mm-hmm. obviously blocking as well yeah. um, but in a basketball court especially if you're the alpha you're asked to do a lot and if you're you are? in a role player, you're asked to do a lot, but you're get, given freedom and reality to do as much as you want. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I feel like it has a lot to do with this notion of like, you know, more players on the field, right, in the field of play, and therefore more distribution of, of effort, you know, and labor and responsibility, and therefore less overall pressure on any one individual to succeed in order for the team right to be successful yeah i think basketball is just a sport where that's why it's the most marketable sport right besides the tank tops is you're not only playing offense but defense you're out there the majority of time versus a football player one position you're either offense or defense rare exceptions and you're only doing a very specific thing other than the the quarterback so basketball and the quarterback we talked i mean we talked to nazi about uh last episode but yeah that he has to be an exception i mean you know it's like he is sort of like the you know derivative to the integral right on, on this team in order to make it work like he is like everything you know you have to have a guy or woman you know maybe one day who have a female quarterback but you have to have a person that's just like super super like not only self-reliant but they embody the, that confidence right the mindfulness the gratitude the resilience and the ability to communicate on a high level right that's why in a quarterback nine times out of ten you need an alpha to win a championship yeah definitely guys There's- like Lamar Jackson Right, guys like Patrick Mahomes. Well, let's not put Lamar Jackson in in that. I wouldn't say Lamar Jackson's proven he can do that. He hasn't proven, maybe he's definitely an alpha. You know, you know, you know how you know an alpha. You know, you know an alpha when you when you see one. You just listen, just listen. You know, like don't think. You know, don't don't think too hard. Just listen. Like you, some of these guys, you know, they're pre- I, I That's why I really like the the post game press conference because you get an opportunity to hear these guys out and you know some of these some of these reporters and journalists ask some very thought-provoking questions and you get to hear these guys and (laughs) there's always going to be different responses depending on who's up there but for the guys that you hear them talking about winning right you're going to hear this word again and again and again in there you know and it's like what we did or did not do to win like that's got to be the narrative right and it's really the only thing that matters. Like if they're not talking about that is a problem. If they're talking about other guys or, you know, 
the other teams, the referees, or I mean, what you know what I mean? Like, if that's the the focus of the narrative, you have a problem. Um, you know, it's it's that it's stuff like, hey, you know, I got to be better, right? When you're talking about blame and you're talking about responsibility and those kinds of questions, if you don't hear I, 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 confidence problem. Okay. Now, number three, now close, I'll just you know, finish up here. When you, when you start hearing, you know, not necessarily about blame, but, but about praise and, and good things and the positive things that happen to, to win. If that becomes about we, 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 you got yourself an alpha. Okay. If that's us and not me, you have yourself an alpha. All right. That's how these narratives work. That's how you know an alpha. And you listen to a guy like Lamar Jackson talk. Like, this is what's happening. Like, he's just very, this is very concrete. He's not like, you know, verbose, right? It's just like, what do you want to know? Like, are, you know, we did, we, it's, did we win? Did we not win? If they, if they won, it's like, you know, like, you know, I, I got my, my teammates, you know, like, they helped me in this way. He calls out individual guys and says, if it weren't for that play and that guy, I wouldn't be standing here right now. He lets that be, be very clear. So it shows he has a good command over the offense. He knows what's going on. Exactly. And he has great situational awareness. And then when, you know, it's, it's a loss, you know, and particularly a bad loss, you know, you're going to hear him talk a lot about me and what I didn't do. Um, and not about me in the sense of like what, what guys didn't do for me. That's not an alpha. That's a, that, that is a, an imposter. And we've seen that before. What he's going to be about is what I need to do to make this team better. And then lastly, it will always be and come back to winning. We need to be better because we're not winning. And if you're yeah. hearing these things, you know what you got. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. How, do you, how can you tell if someone means it? Someone who's being earnest and honest. Anyone. You know, here's the thing, man. I'm, I'm going to take it. I'm going to tell it like, like this. Uh, it's, it's the oldest, you know, kind of mantra in the book, but actions speak louder than words, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, these are, it's a performance, right? There's a performance industry. So it's going to be a lot of footage of all the things you're talking about right now on tape. So, you know, We'll check it out and we'll see, we'll see what we see. You know, like, did you put forth the effort, you know, and did that effort translate into wins? Right. And that's, these are the questions. Yeah. I'm looking forward. I'm hoping there's an NFL season this year. I can't wait, man. I know. It's going to well, be interesting. And that's one of the know, biggest themes right there is can Lamar Jackson repeat what he did last year? Can he do it? With, yeah. the, with now the defenses, with those defensive coordinators, those quote unquote masterminds full year of tape, like you said, mm -hmm. can they adjust? More importantly, can Lamar adjust? Because the defenses are going to be able to adjust. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, they, they, they have to, because he, he was killing the league last year. There's no way that, they, that teams can allow him to do what he did last year, the way he was running around out there. Perfect, they, and, this is, and this is what we talked about before with like a Dirk Nowinski last episode, or like a Derrick Henry, you build your team around the alpha. In Lamar Jackson's case, the Ravens, they built an offense 
completely around them, a team completely around them. They're going all in on that running attack. They're drafting running backs, bringing them in. They have oh, yeah. deep threats, but it's built completely around Lamar Jackson. Credit to the offensive coordinator and coaching staff. Um, they did that. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, hey, you know, it, 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 it worked out really well in the regular season. I don't see any reason why it can't work out uh, again, particularly because we haven't seen anybody that can really stop it like in the regular season, right? I mean, the playoffs is a bit different and we'll get there. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. And if it's continuing to commit to it, I love that. You know, I love it. Now, playoffs is just a different story. It's a different level of pressure. And we have seen for a second year in a row, a guy who shows great promise in less pressure uh, situations. Um, and in the playoffs, you know, so there's something that, you know, he's going to have to sort out, you know, in terms of like how he's able to translate that performance in the, that we've seen in the regular season into, you know, the same, if not hopefully better performance in the playoffs. Yeah. And we saw what Mahomes did in his second full year starting. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He did that. Mm-hmm. So we'll he, see. That. We'll, see. That. we'll mm-hmm. see what Lamar does in his second full year starting. Yeah, no, Patrick Mahomes uh, just set the league on fire. I mean, you have these guys, so-called analysts and experts, saying that he's the next one, right? He's I agree. Chosen one. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's already – do you believe it? Or do you think Lamar has a chance to – I, you know, I have to fall back on history. I'm, I'm just – I'm a history guy. Like, I just – you know, I feel like history is the best teacher. You know, you, you can learn a lot from that. And, and I feel like it, it's just hard to really – you know, go all in on a guy until he's done it twice. It's like that fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. It's like I have to to see it multiple times. It's that person, you know, I, I have to see it multiple times. We're still waiting on Aaron Rodgers second. You know, exactly. Right. I, I got to just I, – I can't do the flash in the pan. I've seen it happen again and again in music and then and then boards where it's just like – you didn't see these transcendence. I mean, I, I you know the Nick Foles story. It's just like it just it screams at me when I when we talk about things like this because I'm just like, you know, I mean this. The, you can't compare easily, what Nick arguably, Foles did to Mahomes. Arguably the greatest, but seriously, I'm not. No, I'm not talking about Mahomes. I'm talking about Burroughs and these got these questions, right? Like, I mean. Arguably the greatest playoff run in NFL history, Nick Foles, right? Beat the the world champion, Bill Belichick. I mean, with Tom Brady putting up 35, I mean, come on, man. It was just like I mean, amazing performance. I would, what about Eli beating the undefeated Patriots? Right but Eli is a, is a class dude. Like, he, you know, he had a New York franchise. Foles, Foles did that. Foles outgunned Brady because that was a shootout. That's what I'm saying. And this is like, who is this guy? Like, who is this guy? It's a Rudy. This is, this is an actually a very interesting story that does happen in sports every now and then, right? Is this Rudy kind of situation where it's a guy, not an Eli Manning, you know, but a guy that just comes out of nowhere. Buster Douglas, right? Has this amazing, like legendary, like all time performance. And usually it's some like yeah, Mike person was coked out of his mind during that person, training camp. Personal story. Mike Tyson could beat anyone on any night 
with with one arm and one leg. That's how that dude was 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 working, dudes, back then. But I'm telling you, it was just like that was not that night. Buster Douglas was not going to be denied. It didn't matter who it was, and that's what happened on that night with Tom Brady. Like it it was like the greatest Tom Brady performance. One of them was like outclassed by this rando. And what has Nick Foles done done since then? All I'm saying is that uh, sports is, is magic, man. There's some magic that can happen out here. Um, and and some, uh, some of these guys don't get opportunities like Nick Foles had. He was given that opportunity. He was a starter before, but then he never was given that type of opportunity where he's in the playoffs now, chance to win a Super Bowl. And he did the most, you know, with, with yeah. what he had. He you got to respect through. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Role players, huh? Role players, man. We're bouncing out. I like it. Well, we're hitting some role players. We're talking about a lot about Alpha, though, too. It's, well, it's been a great conversation. You, you can't know? have a conversation about role players without talking about Alphas. No, the yin and the yang. The yin yeah. and the yang, you know. So speaking of another yin to Michael Jordan's yang, Scotty Pippen, episode 33. This is the guy we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So best role player ever, defense. Obviously, he shut down Magic. Granted, Magic was a little older to win their first title. And he was the defensive stalwart of that team through six championships. He was. But yeah. not, not only that, jack of all trades. Led the was. team in assists. Yes, he was. Yes, he did. What kind of we, – we mentioned Dennis Rodman. What, he brought high energy. Mm-hmm. That was the tone he brought. He Rebounds. Was the, Rebounds are statement plays. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. Because yeah. it's 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 letting your team know I'm willing to do whatever I can. I'm going to battle for you to get us another opportunity to get a shot at this mm-hmm. at this win, you know? It's it's statements, your statements. The intangible of what he brought was high energy. High what energy. would be what's the intangible that Scottie Pippen brought to the floor? Steady, solid as a rock. Mm-hmm. Put him in, yep. you know, you said Jack of all trades, and he's gonna make it happen. He's gonna do something. Great. Very calming. Do you know what position he's in? Smooth. But that calming presence, he had a calming aura. Yeah, always making plays. He was a guy, I think, which you really have to appreciate him for, for a championship team, right? No glory, very little by comparison to, to Michael Jordan. By comparison. By comparison. But here's the thing. Like, when MJ sat down, Right, and needed a breather, needed a rest. Scotty was the guy. Like he was running the offense. Like he was the focal point. He was the guy that was basically allowing Michael Jordan to 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 get his rest and remain on the bench and to keep the game, you know, the game within reach. So there were periods of play when he was the alpha on the court. He was the alpha, uh, you know. I guess within a very confined space right um or he was I, play, playing the role of the alpha even he was he, playing the role of the alpha i i would say that um you know it, it was very important that mj was on the bench you know what i mean um in order for for that for that to play out the right way yeah so Pippen, pippin accepted his role just like all these athletes we talked about before he was drafted yeah. by the bulls came in yeah. another unheralded guy from central arkansas another guy that grew what eight inches after high school where where were I, where was my eight inches after high school 
where was my growth spurt after high school? Anyways, Pippin came in youngest of 12 siblings. So an unheralded guy from Central Arkansas. It's all about having more attachments. Yeah. Very similar to Pippin though. He came in and he didn't want the limelight. He didn't want the spotlight. He signed a long-term contract for the security of the long-term over the big payday. So he always chose security. He wanted to be, it wanted to be steady, perfect role player. He wasn't going to ever fight Michael Jordan for that spotlight. Yeah. He, he wasn't playing yeah. for that. And understanding the disc analysis, the, you know, that you just, you know, elo- eloquently, you know, kind of uh, conceptualized there in terms of Scotty's steadiness is the key to understanding what went wrong, right? Because there was a breach, you know, in the disc matrix in terms of how, how they were how the, the leadership of that team, the executive management of that team, was interacting with Scotty in terms of the, the team dynamics, the team chemistry, because they weren't allowing Scotty to be Scotty, right? Scotty was not the guy, this is what we learned from the last dance, right? Scotty was not the guy that you could be like dangling trade rumors over. Like He wants you, that you, security. No, 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 no. You know, exactly. Like he's... He's a guy that thrives on stability, you know, and steadiness. And the team, you know, basically, again, we talked about this in the beginning, right? We have to, you know, with the role players, and this is how you know, right? You, we got to give that guy confidence, right? We got to give him confidence. We have to let him know. We have to reassure him. And, and, and not to say that the alpha does not need reassurance, right? But the alpha is the kind of guy that can kind of take it. Um, whereas, you know, Scotty's the kind of guy that, you know, when push comes to shove, he might kind of run in the opposite direction. You know, he might shrink from the moment um, if you push him too, too hard. And I think in the end, the final analysis, that's kind of what happened. is like that his steadiness, you know, that the, 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 the foundation, the pillar that he provided for that foundation began to crack and crumble, right? And in the end, in that final game, right, you know, it, it imploded. That, that The whole thing imploded, right? It, it fell apart. And oh, that's I mean, why he didn't show up. After that second three-peat. It, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It, it's one of these things like you, you, you don't really blame Scotty. I mean, you understand that really there was a con. Well, there's a lot more factors. Are you talking about like the breakup of the Bulls? Yeah, man. Really? So there's a, there was a complex matrix in there, you know, that unfortunately Scotty was more of an innocent bystander, right? Because it was really, a, you know, a, you know, my dick's bigger than yours kind of thing between MJ and the ownership, right? That's really what it comes down to, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, Cardi kind of get caught up, it seems, in the, in the, in the web. Mm, a dick measuring contest. Classic. Yeah. yeah, I think ultimately, yeah, you're right, and we're gonna we're gonna have to dissect more of that when we do the Michael Jordan podcast and talk about how it's kind of a shame that it ended. They ended at the three P, a team that could have won four in a row. They just stopped. They weren't able to to defend the throne like we've mentioned before. And ultimately, I think you want to point fingers at the owner because that's the that's the money man. That's the guy that well, the at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's the final decision maker. You know, it's like we were talking earlier. We were talking earlier about this uh, the general manager. Now, the general manager 
he seems to be the guy, Kraus, right, that that gets most of the, the flack. Um, he has an interesting story, right? Uh, I mean, you, you, you come to learn that he came into professional basketball by way of professional baseball, but sort of, you know, like, not necessarily on the level of like what the Bulls were doing, right? I mean, it was with the White Sox franchise, kind of a scout. Well, the Bulls were awful back then, though, when he, when he brought him in, though. True. Um, but he was a scout. Yeah, you know, that's a big the, upgrade, scout to GM. For the, uh, the White Sox. And, um, yeah, and, I mean, he's taken over a team that, that has, you know, what I think most considered at that time to be the greatest player of all time. Like, the, a guy that has the potential to be the greatest player of all time. Huge asset huge, huge piece. And, and, and he's given the keys to this. Now I have to imagine that if I'm the owner of a, of a team like this, that has this guy and I'm choosing that person to be my general manager, right. To lead my organization, to be the face of my franchise. I have to do that reluctantly if I'm an astute, you know, business person, because this is a huge asset, right? I, I can't, I mean, and Michael Jordan is a huge asset. Like, you, you, can't, you can't mess that up. And this guy's a scout, so he hasn't really been in these types of situations dealing with players like this at this level, you know, having this title. How does he work with that? Well, you know, the funny thing about a guy like, that hasn't really been there before and, and you upgrade their role like that, like, very quickly and ascend them like that is it's sort of like they, for them, it just feels like a great opportunity, you know, the crosses of the world. And they're going to pretty much do whatever it takes to hold on to that job. And I think oftentimes the narrative become the, the narrative between the owner and the general manager in this circumstance is you're going to be the face of this, right? But it's going to be good cop, bad cop, right? You're going to essentially convey the narrative that I want, but you're going to be the guy conveying it, right? Because I need to, to kind of stay above all that. And, you know, he kind of becomes almost like a henchman. And it feels to me like that's the relationship that he kind of had uh, with the players. Yeah. I wish he was uh, still alive to be able to give his side of the story or his point of view or how he would feel now, like thinking back in the moment. Um, that would have been well, fascinating. Interesting. That's why this documentary is so fascinating. Is like you're getting all these different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, you, I guess you're getting kind of like snippets of, of his dialogue from when he was interviewed back then. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see like in retrospect. Yeah. There were some interviews from 2003, but I wonder if it might've been still too soon looking back to not have yeah. some sort of biased viewpoint on it, but certainly would have had, would have made it a little bit more interesting, but the, the, the team dynamics of those Chicago Bulls teams from owner to GM to head coach to star player to role players sounds like there was so much conflict in, in all that connective tissue that you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My little micro tears with you, if you will. And you mentioned Scotty Pippen played a role partly because that contract, we all saw it compared to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan getting paid 15 times more. Yeah. Um, and then the not gotta like, hurt. the it's uncertainty gotta, of those trade rumors. It's got to hurt though, man. You know, I mean, steady as that guy is like, it's got to hurt those numbers. Right. I mean, just, you sleep, how do you sleep? Yeah. How do you sleep that in? that and the fact that dangling these trade rumors, like I'm going to trade you for the after you've already won them three championships, that the uncertainty of that you, you feel for Scotty, man. Mm -hmm. You know, you do. It's like wow, 
And, and, you know, and like, again, we keep saying Scotty wasn't a guy that, you know, you, you, you had to worry about, like Scotty was a guy that was giving you everything. Right. He wasn't a guy that you had to be like, Oh, is he going to, is he going to be there? You know, do you, do we know what we're, we're going to have out there? No, every night, you know, that's what made him a great compliment to Michael Jordan. And it's funny how you, you, you mentioned the, the chaos, you know, within the, the connective tissue. And it's, I just feel like you look at Jordan and how he rolls and with the, you know, the, the bourbon, you know, almost certainly Woodford reserve, you know, to his right, right mm. on, on camera in his, in his crib, you know, with the high ceilings. And, and it's you're, like, you're a Woodford reserve guy. And you realize this guy, this is a guy that can, can dwell amongst, chaos and still be successful in fact it probably worked for him all that chaos he's a lion you know that singular focus almost like blinders like a horse towards the finish line and he scotty delayed his surgery had a surgery during that last year and you heard him talk about it he's a matter of fact in the moment like we're gonna go out and get this what scotty's doing is selfish but when he gets back he gets back like straight it's, to the point. And, you know, and Scotty needed to hear that. We'll control what we have to control. Yeah, and Scotty, Scotty needed to hear that. That's Krauss, you know, uh, you know, since we're on this topic and, and, you know, the owner, they actually could have learned a lot from Jordan, you know, and, and his relationship with Scotty because that worked, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's funny because Jordan never really had to give Scotty any, like, mutual respect, right, or credit. He never had to do that. Right. He always let Scotty know who he was. And, you know, and Scotty was happily embraced all of that as long as Jordan was able to keep keep it steady. Keep it steady, you know, and that's that's major. That's major. You know, that's the type of thing that, again, is one of these intangibles about a guy like Jordan. When we talk about this principle of communication. Um, as, a, as a core feature of alpha. Um, this is what we're talking about is the ability to connect with the other pieces and really drive the momentum of that connective tissue, like networking and, and that, you know, that, that like synergy. And you know what each guy needs to keep it going, right? And you feed them, mm-hmm. right? You feed them. Like the great, the great moment, great example is when Kobe fed the ball to meta world peace, right? In that big game with game seven, Boston series, mm-hmm. greatest moment. Like who would have thought Kobe Bryant, like the most important moment would have made that call, that decision. But that was a transcendent moment for both players, right? And I think it probably bonded them. I mean, if they weren't already bonded for life, right? Absolutely. There's so many different Michael Jordan quotes I want to mention from this documentary but we might have to do our own podcast on just the quotes that we like the, the his interview and what he says about this is there's so many great things that we can get mj is kind of revealing himself and who he is this is you can tell that's genuine like you mentioned he's got the what you said woodford reserve by us <laughs> and talking openly probably and, i mean a guy like that probably, probably. yeah good choice but yeah there there would be no Six championships without Pippen. That goes without saying. Robin to Michael Jordan's Batman. And this is a guy who just bought in. And yeah, over time, 
it's important to know that his his total NBA salary ended up being more than Michael Jordan's. The total earnings specifically for basketball performance. And you love that. You know, you love the way that story ends because, you know, he got what he deserved, you know, that kind he of signed pop- a fat contract with the Houston Rockets and then went, out, yeah. went on to play for the Blazers, made a Western Conference Finals, almost beat Shaq and Kobe. Mm-hmm. That golden parachute. He he earned it, man. You know, that's the thing. Like, if there's if there's if there's one message that our, our listeners can take away from from this conversation we're having about Scotty Pippen is that like no matter what you want to call him, you know, probably don't want to call him Alpha, but whatever role you wanna you know, want to put him in, he won. I mean he was a winner and mm-hmm. and he made it happen like in, in all aspects of his performance um, and everything he gave to the game, right? He exemplified uh, the will to win. One of the best to ever do it. And what holds higher value than that? I mean, he got the financial part out of it. He got the security from that aspect, but he also got the praise and the glory. But at the end of the day, he got the championship and the championships. And that's the validation. Exactly. And the final analysis, it's all that matters, right? It's all that matters. Um, and so with that, I, th- I think, I do think part of what you were saying earlier is that Scotty, he's not as much of an end result guy as more of the process. He wants to feel comfortable and secure throughout the process. So he, maybe he never was really in it for the praise. It was more from that, that security. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, you know, the special sauce, the key ingredient, you know, like, you know, what's behind the curtain, you know, with this type of analysis is finding strategic ways, reliable ways of understanding these things about players, right? These dynamics, you know, these, you know, their internal narratives, right? Their upbringing, you know, and and what that was about, you know, their family dynamics, um, the team dynamics of their high school and collegiate experiences like get in there and get to know these guys and above all like sit down with them face to face you know woman to woman man to man man to woman woman to man, whatever and like have a conversation get on the same page and just be like and just you know uh, get to know who they are and let them know that obviously you care you know listen in intently and, and you know empathically and you know and just vibe and, and you'll i think it'll become clear, um, you know, when, when you have these conversations, particularly when you start talking about expectations. Um, and, uh, and, you know, once you arrive at your decision, whatever it is you perceive this player to be, right? Love them, embrace them for who they are, you know, and, uh, you know, find them a great coach and let nature take its course, you know? Um, and, you know, one day you, you can, you know, you too may be a champion. Yeah. Embrace it. Appraise them to find the role and validate. That's right. All right, man. Well, it's been so much fun. So what about, let me ask you this before we go and then we'll go. Okay. There's a few guys in the NBA that maybe previously were leaders, were pegged to be the number one guys to lead their teams to championships, but it never happened. I think I feel like this is going to be its own podcast. 
Well, you know, it's it's a good segue though because you know the question. One of these is so many questions uh, that are left unanswered, but one of the ones that I've always been very intrigued by is like that that what could have been, right? The what could have been. The what ifs. The what ifs, man. Like there there are some amazing stories of you know when you go back again you talk about this the tape and you watch these guys on film like high school, college, in the early professional uh, careers. And you, I mean, just the greatness just, you know, is so clear, just, you know, jumps off the, the screen, you know, and expectations rise, you know, accordingly. And, um, and they seem like you talk to them, right? Everything we just talked about, like the interviews, you know, the, the conversations, the one-on-ones, like, it, it all seems to be working out. It all seems to make sense. It all seems to fit. And then like something along the way, you know, happens or, you know, a lot of times you never really completely figure it out. And then it doesn't work. Like, Injury work is the obvious one. That's a, that's a very common one, but sometimes it's not even that, you know, sometimes it's, it's always more than that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, and that's why you have to continue the conversation. And the stigma.